0: We are in, if you haven't been with us over the last eight weeks, um, believe it or not, we've been in this series called The Good and Beautiful Community and um, it's it's been, I don't know, like I always say, it's been good for me. Hopefully it's been good for you. Uh, If you haven't been with us over the last eight weeks, I would say this. You have come on the day of the most important message out of all of them. So if you didn't get anything over the last eight weeks, this is the day for you. This is a good one. Uh, I think it's helpful for all of us, Um, but we've been working with this premise that so many of us uh, have been taught, and we've grown up with this idea that our relationship with God is a personal relationship with God, and we aren't saying that that's not true. We're just saying that it's it's not just about you and God. It's about a collective people. It's about a whole, that, that a personal relationship can't thrive without people. That's what we've been saying over the course of the eight weeks, that your personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. And the same is true for this message today. And uh, I know when I give you the title, you, 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 you may check out, but just hang with me because I think this is this is important. I think we're going to take you in a different direction than you've ever been when it comes to this particular subject. And so today's title is The Worshiping Community. That's right, The Worshiping Community. And I I promise it's not what you think. So if you could hang with me, that'd be awesome. And and I would say this, would you pray with me before we begin? And and maybe just pray with me a a prayer that I pray every day uh, for our church. Uh, This is something I pray every day um, for our church, and it's that God would find favor upon us. And so I'm going to pray that for you, and it's actually found in one of the stories that we're going to look at today. And so uh, let's pray as we begin. Lord, today that we, we just pray that you would find favor upon us. That you would turn your face from our failures and our iniquities and the things that we've done wrong. That you would turn your face from our insecurities and that you would turn your face from our failures of things we failed to do. We pray that you would relent, that you would be gracious to us, and that you would be kind to, kind to us. That you would not allow anger to burn toward us. And we pray that you would return us. Return us once again to the purpose that you've called us to. I pray that that message, this message today, your message, would move us into that place. So we pray that you would find favor. Be in this time of teaching. Be in our hearts. Be in our minds. And may we be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I don't know about you, but um, I find it difficult at times to find time to watch TV. And I don't know about you, but at times I think watching TV is just kind of a waste of a time. It's, it's really unproductive. There's not a lot going on and it's pretty mindless and just really kind of boring. But when I do watch TV, um, my wife and I, Janelle and I, in fact, Sunday nights, uh, we enjoy watching Shark Tank. Is there anybody else out there that loves watching Shark Tank? Okay, we've got a couple followers of Shark Tank. There are a few things that I love about this show. And the first one is I love that there are creative people. I love that there are creators, there are innovators, there are people that are starting new businesses, and I think that whenever we are creating, we are living out the image of the Creator God. I think that's the beautiful thing that when we create things, we are living into what it means to be fully human and that whenever you create, you are resembling the creator. And so it's fun to see people come up with new ideas that they're on the forefront uh, of new innovations and new technology and new ideas. And some of them are crazy. Some of them are wacky, but I just love the idea of new stuff and new things and new ideas. The other is kind of the opposite in the sense that I love how degrading they can be at times. You've watched the show, right? You've watched how mean these people can be. I mean, Lori and Robert, they're like the exception. They're pretty compassionate. They're pretty kind. But once you get to like Damon, who seems like he's always out on every endeavor, and then you get to to Mark, you either love Mark or you can't stand Mark. Uh, I personally like Mark. I think he's great. But Kevin, many of you know Kevin. He is ruthless to these people. Come on, you've watched the show and you've watched the moment where he doesn't like the pitch that they're giving. And so he says, go back to the dark hole like the cockroach that you are. Come on, that's one of my favorite lines. Um, He says that to people and then he'll say, you are dead to me. You are dead to me. Get out of my face, you cockroach. I mean, who says that? I mean, how can you run a business on being so rude to people? I don't know, but Anyway, I love that part, but I got to say, one of the parts that intrigues me the most about the show is how they know when they're going to invest in a company, right? I find it so interesting. I love how they have these cool little black notepads that they're writing in. Do you, do you ever wonder what they're writing down? Because I do. I bought one just so I would look really studious and really smart, and you know, when people talk to me, I pretend like I'm writing stuff down. I'm just really drawing faces. Totally kidding. But anyway, they're writing stuff down, and I wonder, I wonder, what is it that they're writing down? They're writing something down. But it's interesting to me that the difference for them between a yes and a no can be as little as 1%. That the difference for them, I mean, these are people that have millions and millions and millions of dollars, and yet they are so shrewd and they're so cunning that they will argue over 1%. Meanwhile, the person in front of them is scrounging by, they're in debt, they have no money, and they're arguing over 1%. And I find it funny that they will find it worth it, they will find it worth it to invest in a company if they can argue down 1%. I also find it interesting that they know when to partner with somebody. Is it worth it for me to partner with another partner and which one do I partner with? And I also find it interesting that they can give a valuation on a company based upon a 2-minute pitch. I mean, these people that come in, they know their company inside and out and they've they've invested so much time. And so they know the value of their company. And when they walk in in two minutes, they'll say, no, I think your company's worth half of that. Anybody else on this? And so what's so interesting and kind of where we're headed today, when it comes to Shark Tank, what captures my attention is how do they know it's worth it? Right. How do they know it's worth the investment? How do they know it's worth their time? And how do they know it's worth their energy? And I would say this. I would love to be more business minded. I would love to be uh, smart like they are. Uh, but we make, we make shark type decisions every day in our life. Did you know this? Every day when you get up, you place value on something. And whether you will or you will not participate in it. You decide every day when you get up if it is worth it. Some of you know when you get up at work, you, when you get up in the morning and you're ready to go to work, you think, is this worth the compensation that I'm receiving? Right? Is it really worth it for me to go do this job all day long only to get this little amount of money? I mean, is it worth it for me to stay home? You make a decision. Is it worth it for me to stay home with my kids, moms? Is it worth it for me to stay home? Or is it worth it for me to go to work? Is it worth it for me to shop at Aldi versus Target? Or which one is worth my time? Which one is worth my money? Is it worth the extra 50 cents for the soft toilet tissue? The answer to that is simple. Yes. Um, I mean, it's worth it. Am I going to save 20% when you you go to the, the, when you see there's a sale and they're saying 20% off on shoes and and shirts and you know that you're still getting ripped off, you have to make the question, is it worth the 20% and still getting ripped off? And I mean, you, you can make the answer on that one. But every day, we make decisions on whether life, things in our life, are worth it. And the question that I want to wrestle with today, and, and, and this is kind of where we're headed today, is this. Is church worth it? Is church worth it? Is it worth our time? Is it worth our energy? And at the root of the question, at the heart of the question, is this bigger question, which is, is the worship worth it? is the worship worth it? See, I'm just got to be honest with you. There are some Sundays, there aren't many, but there are some Sundays when I wake up and it's raining outside or it's cold outside or it's snowing, I just want to stay in bed. I'd prefer not to get up early. I'd prefer not to have to rehearse this message over and over and over again. It's just too much energy. I'd prefer not to come in. I'd prefer not to preach. I prefer not to worship. I mean, there are Sundays where I don't feel like it's worth the energy or it's worth my time. There are weeks when I'm writing messages. Is it really worth 20 to 30 hours for, for, for me to maybe bore you for those 20 or 30 minutes? I mean, that's really, you know, it's about, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of difficult. It's like, is it worth my time? And my guess is when you get up on Sunday, right? You've had this, you've had this question, is it worth it for me to go to church today? Is it worth it for me to get up and take a shower? Is it worth it for me to get my kids ready only to drive in for a half an hour and listen to them argue and bicker and fight and and, and you know that it's just going to end up in a fight with your spouse anyway? Is it worth it for us to do that? Is it worth it for me to come in and have people ask me how I'm doing and I really don't want them to ask me? Is it worth it for me to answer a bunch of questions? Is it worth it for me to come in and sing? Is it worth it for me to listen to the pastor yap for over an hour? Don't answer that question. It's a rhetorical question. Is it worth it? I get it. You are asking this question. And at the heart and underneath that question, there are two underlying factors that help us determine, actually help us determine whether we think it is worth our time and worth our energy. And the first one is this, is that it's personal. It's a personal matter and that worship is meant to inspire me. This is one of the narratives that we bought into when it comes to worship, that it's a personal matter and that it's meant to inspire me. And, and the problem with this is when we, when we walk into worship with this mentality, the personal matter mentality, uh, we become very critical. And so you begin to think, is it really worth... Uh, is the, is the message going to be something that's going to connect with me? Do I like the music? Is it worth my time? Do they have great environments? Is their kids, are the kids' um, programs any good? Is it worth it for me to go? And you become critical and you begin to compare compared to other churches. And so often we'll look around and, and, and we'll think that it's not because some other church is doing it better. And I would say this. We get so caught up in an aesthetically pleasing performance that we miss the pulsing heart of God. That we get so caught up, we do, we get so caught up in an aesthetically pleasing performance that we miss the pulse and heart of God. And so when you're determining this, you may not know this, but when you get up on Sunday, part of where you're asking whether this is worth my time and my energy is a personal matter. Is it going to give me what I want or need? The other issue is a have to and a get to. Right? When it comes to worship, when you get up, it's like, you've heard your kids say this, and maybe you've said this to your parents. Do I have to go today? Do I, do I really have to go? And, and I love it. When I was in fourth grade, my teacher, we would walk up to her, and, and I don't remember anything from fourth grade, but I do remember this. She, we would walk up, and we'd say, do we have to do our spelling test? Do we have to do these math equations? And she would look at us, and she would say, No. You don't have to. And you're like, whew, this is, I love this teacher. And then she breaks your heart when she says, no, you get to. You know this, right? You don't have to. You get to. And I don't think that we often look at our worship experience when we get up on Sunday, when we decide if church is worth it as a get to or a gift experience that God has given us. We don't. We look at it as a have-to. Our mom makes us. Our girlfriend that we're dating says if we don't go, she won't date us. I mean, it's just the bottom line, and so we have to go. Or some of us see it as fire insurance. I have to go because I know if I don't go and I get an accident out here on Route 52, that I'll go to hell. Some of us just see church as fire insurance, that it's just my secure way of going to heaven. And, and I hate to, hate to say it, but that a have-to is not really a great way to enjoy God and to live for God. And so wherever you are in this journey, whether it's a personal matter or it's something that you have to do, and you're determining if it's worth your time and it's worth your effort and it's worth your energy, I want to help you understand a completely different perspective that I personally have never uh, heard before, uh, but it's something that I wrestled with when I worked through this very text. And so we want to change your mind that worship is worth it. That worship is worth it. And so today we're going to look at one Line. I know it's hard to believe that we could talk for the next 15 minutes or 20 minutes on one line. But I'm a pastor, so we could talk forever about just one word. Um, That's not hard to do. And so I think this one line will literally change. It changed the face of history. It changed uh, our lives. If it weren't for this line, we wouldn't be here. And if, if it weren't for this line, we wouldn't have a better understanding of who God is and what he wants for his people, and so the line that we're going to look at today is written by a guy named Moses, right? We kind of studied this story last week, but we're going to pull a line out of here. But Moses, what's great about Moses is Moses worked through this question his entire life. Is it worth it? He was defined by that, by that very question. When he was born, some of you know this, his mom looked at him and she said, this is a very fine child. That's what, that's what the Bible tells us. That he was a very fine child. And I don't know if you know this, but at the time Pharaoh was killing all of the babies born to Hebrew women. And so she said, is it worth risking my life to, to allow this fine child to live? And she said, I think so. And so you know the story. She puts him in a basket. She hides him in the river in a bunch of reeds. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And all of a sudden she raises him up and um, he becomes a powerful man within the nation. You know that he ends up killing, killing an Egyptian. And at the end of the day, he flees to Midian where he's there for 40 years. And um, it's just, you know, he's kind of hanging out. and He's doing his own thing. He's shepherding. He's having family. And so God calls him up from the minor leagues. <laughs> I love that. He calls him up from the minor leagues and he says, it's time, time for you to, to join the big leagues. It's time for you to be a professional player in this game. And so I need you to step it up. And so he says, I've heard my people yelling. I've heard my people crying. They've been enslaved for a long period of time. And I need somebody to lead them out. And he says, God says to Moses, I think you're worth it. Yeah, I believe in you. I think you're worth it. And you begin to hear Moses ask this question. Am I really worth it? I mean, Lord, I've got really bad speech. I'm not the most intelligent. I'm not the most eloquent. I'm going to stand before one of the most powerful people in the world. And, and I just don't feel like you can hear the insecurity. And he's asking, am I worth it? And what's funny is when he gets, when he gets to Egypt and he talks to Pharaoh and he frees the people, the, the question sort of turns on its head. It's no longer about him. He's asking this question, are these people worth it? I mean, the, he, he refers to them as stiff-necked. I don't know. Um, I don't know what people have called you before, but that's, he says, these are a bunch of stiff-necked people. They're a bunch of negative people. They're a bunch of rude people. And he says, I don't even know if it's worth it leading them anymore. And I love he has conversations with God over and over and over again. Seriously, God, is this whole thing worth it? Are these people worth it? And really at the heart of it, when Moses questions this, he's asking God, God, are you worth it? And so he wrestles through this big question of whether it's worth it, whether it's worth his time and worth his energy. And I need you to hang on to that word energy because we're going to get to it at the end. Is it worth his energy? Moses pins this very sentence that God gave him and what I love about this sentence is that it is woven throughout the exodus story the salvation story of God's people over and over and over again we find it seven times within the story and I know some of you are like seven is that important absolutely it's the number of perfection so this must be God's perfect plan for his people when it comes to helping them understand the value the value of what God wants for them and so here's what he says we're going to start with the first four words he says you know this, let my people go. Now, I actually did the opposite today. I highlighted my people and I really want you to look at the words, let go. I love that. Sorry about that. That's my fault. But I love how he says, and this could be one of the most, like the most important four words in history, when God says, when God says to Moses, I want you to let Pharaoh know to let my people go. Go. And you're saying, because you're so inquisitive today, what do you mean by let go? Let let go of what? And what God wants Moses to address is that God's people no longer look like God's people. They look like, they walk like, and they talk like Egyptians, right? Come on, bangles, that's a good song. You know the bangles, walk like, talk like an Egyptian. But here's really the bigger problem, and that is this. When we're enslaved to darkness... We are profoundly enamored with a hopeful future. Like these people have been enslaved in darkness and they are profoundly enamored enamored with a hopeful future. In other words, even though they're living in slavery, they don't believe that slavery is God's plan for them. But the problem was, was they gave up on God's plan for them. They gave up on God's dream for them and they settled, they settled for somebody else's standards. There's no God to be found here. God is nowhere around us. So we'll just settle for somebody else's dream. And what they did was they placed their hopeful future in Egypt. God's not going to get us out. He's not going to take care of us. He's not going to free us. We might as well just settle for what we have right now. And what happens is they settle for somebody else's standard. Somebody else's future, somebody else's dream. And this was never God's dream for his people. And God believes, God believes that there is purpose for them still. That's what I love about if you don't love God, you could love this about him, that he always believes there is something redemptive, even in the middle of darkness. And so I would say this, this idea of letting go means that God has to release them. They must be released to be repurposed. We must be released to be repurposed. And I think what he's saying is you need to be released from the standards that you have settled for. Because you are no longer living into the dream that I've called you to. And so my question for us this morning, we'll just start with you as an individual. What holds you captive? Maybe a, a better question is, what standards have you settled for in your life? I get it that, that many of us, we get up every day and we go to work and like we give our lives to work, to kids, to. And, and we just wonder is it really worth it? Is it worth our time? I, I would say this I want to think for a minute as a church, as a community. Can, can we think as a church for just a minute? I think that, that there is something holding us down, I think there is something holding us captive. And I think the big problem, not just for our church, but for a lot of churches all over the United States, is that we are settling for somebody else's standard. I really believe that. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right, and so I want to read to you what I wrote to our board this week. Uh, This is my monthly, uh, we write um, reports based upon what God is teaching us and telling us. And as I began to write this week, this just sort of flowed out. It just kind of came out as I was as I was writing and kind of works with this idea of are we settling? So I said, J.F. Board, God is teaching me so much. Ever since I've been in ministry, I've had this nudge or this notion or this question or even a discontent deep within me saying, is this it? I mean, really, is this it? It and when I say is this it, I mean the church. Is this what? Is this it? Maybe you've sensed it within your soul. If you're like me, it usually happens right after Sunday service when I'm driving home. Usually, it happens on the street on a sunny, a summer sunny day, and I see all my neighbors outside playing and washing their cars and cutting grass amongst other numerous tasks and activities. It's then that the follow-up question begins to, to come through. It's do they know? Do they know the good news that we supposedly know? And if they don't know, how will they know? Which then leads to the deeper question, I think, precedes all other questions. All the preceding questions are attempting to answer. And here it is. Is our current understanding of the church the most tangible expression of Christ's love? If your partner's asleep, wake them up because this is really important. If our, is our current understanding of church the most tangible expression of Christ's love? And here's what I say next. I think it is human nature for us to fall victim to and use the excuse, well, that's how successful churches are doing it. It's easy for us to settle for someone else's standard. But who defines success? What if, what if success of the church in Jesus' kingdom looks nothing like what we've turned the American church into? What if success isn't owning property? What if success isn't numbers? What if success isn't trendy environments? What if success, if we can even use that word in the kingdom of God, starts with, starts with the insecurity of not knowing? I like that, but I wrote that, so of course I would. Um, what if success starts with not knowing? What if our future or God's plan for us starts by accepting we can't know or fully understand what he wants to do through us and for us? And what if success for our church, JF, is about turning paradigms of the modern church on its head? What would it look like for JF to become a tangible expression of Christ's love within our community? Is this it? Is this the most tangible expression that we can give to Joliet of what God's love looks like? And so I finished with this. Here's the final statement question I'll pose, and I need you to pray about with me, and that is this Never settle for somebody else's standard. What is God calling us to? That's how I ended it. What is God calling us to? I think what bugs me the most is that we have, we have turned the church into a set of numbers. We've calculated, we figured out, we, we've got it everything narrowed down, and we know exactly what's going to happen. And if we don't know what's going to happen, we look like we're a bunch of idiots. I love it when we talk about the future of our church. I talk with other pastors and other people, and, of course, they let me know how great their plan is. And then when I share our plan and I just say, hey, the truth is I'm still discovering that, and I'm in prayer with God about that, and we don't know what it looks like, they give you the look like, well, you're stupid. But when, when did faith lose the faith component? Like When it comes to Sundays, when it comes to what the church is supposed to be doing, right? we call it faith, yet there is no faith because it's so calculated and it's so figured out. We have to have our own plan. And what if God's plan, the best thing that he could do for us is not tell us right now because we're not ready for it. And the easy thing, the easy thing for us to do as a church, for us to do as a community, is for us to settle for somebody else's standard. And I think I think that God is wanting to release us, to repurpose us for something better in the world. Something better than this. But in order to get to that dream, we have to have a paradigm shift in our thinking. And so Moses continues this, the, the, the line that is so important. And here's where we need the shift in our thinking. He says this. Excuse me. Sorry. Go ahead. Let my people go so they may come and worship. I love that. Let my people go so they may come and worship. This is what Moses tells Pharaoh. This is what he explains to him. And I love it that he says, let my people go, not so that they can be free. Not so that they can go out in the desert. Not so that they can go out and do whatever they think is best. Not so that they can go out and figure life out for themselves. He says, no, I want them to be free. I want them to go. Let my people go so they may come and worship. And I think the struggle for you and me when we get up on Sundays and we're asking this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is We, we, we know that God's supposed to be worth it. We know that it's supposed to, but we still have questions about God. Come on. I, we don't have him figured out. He's still a big mystery. Half the time you're still questioning, is this even real? Like, am I giving my life to something that doesn't make sense or is real? And so for you, when you're trying to determine if it's worth it, it's like, it's really a 50-50. Like, I, I could live... Or not live without it. I mean, it's not a big deal. And as I begin to work through this text, I, be, I begin to think that so often we know that worship is supposed to be about God. It's not supposed to be about us, which is true. But rarely do we consider, especially in this, in this line that Moses gives us, that worship and my people are connected. And so, so often when we're placing a value on worship, we think it's about the value of God instead of the value that God places on us. I love this thought that he says, these are my people. I believe in them. I love them. I care for them. And you know what? They are worth it. They are worth it. You are worth it. And it's really not so much about how much you can give God, but it's about God's grand investment in each of you because he believes that you are worth it. See, we think when we come in here, we're trying to figure out how how, how am I supposed to worship this God? How am I supposed to give to him? But it's really not about giving to him. It's about what God wants to give you. Again, we've we've settled for a poor version of the church. And rather than living into God's streams, rather than living into something more that he's calling us to, we just settle. And God says, no, no, no. When you worship, you are worth it. My greatest investment is in you. But I'm not so sure that we believe we're worth it. See, the worship is worth it. God thinks when you come to worship, you are worth it. You are worth his investment. But I'm not so sure that each of us believes that we are worth it. And here's how I know that. The word that Moses uses, the word that God gives Moses when he talks about this idea of worship. If you could kind of flesh that out, it would literally mean to give considerable energy to So think about the people that that Moses is speaking with and working with. These are people who have given considerable energy. They've given their lives to. They've given their families to. They've spent most of their life making bricks for the empire. They were enslaved to the empire. And the more they gave their energy to, the more they gave their dreams to. The more they gave their lives to, the more they gave their work to, the more they gave up what God wanted for them, and they gave into something else. And you know the question, what do you give considerable energy to? What is your worship? That's a really good question. What do you give considerable energy to? For most of us, we spend a lot of our time working in a place, trying to achieve a child, trying to make enough money for our family. For some of us, it's about raising our kids. It's about raising our families. For some of us, we give considerable energy to our phones. In fact, some of you are looking at your phone right now. I mean, hey, I totally understand. I probably would be too. But you're giving considerable considerable energy to social media, to social media platforms. You give considerable energy to your TV, to your grass, to your home, whatever it may be. You give considerable energy to it. But I, I got to be honest. There's there's just been something that has been bothering me over the course of the summer. And, and here's how I know that we know it's not worth it is... We seem to be okay in the American church with the summer slump. (laughs) I find that interesting. That in the American church, it's expected, it's okay, and we are okay with the fact that a good 30% of our people will not show up every Sunday throughout the course of the summer. And, I mean, I've been asking other pastors, hey, are you guys experiencing this? And, you know, yeah, we never freak out. In fact, if you've got 30%, you're you're doing really well. We've got more than that uh, that are missing and gone every week. And I'm just wondering, when did, when did Sunday become so optional for us? Like, when did gathering as God's people, when did coming together, if God thinks you are worth it and he's wanting to invest in you, I'm not so sure that you believe in yourself. And Sunday becomes so optional for us. And you know how I know that? Because of Monday. When Monday comes around, there isn't a question of whether we're going to get up and go to work today. You may not feel like you want to go to work, but it's not a question of if you're going to work. When you get up on Monday morning, you look in the mirror, there's no question about what you're doing. You're going to give considerable energy to that time on Monday. When Golf League comes around on Tuesday, or whatever hobby you have on Tuesday or Wednesday, when that comes around, there's no question if I'm going golfing. I'm going. When it comes to your kids' soccer games or their events or their programs or anything else, we will sacrifice everything that we're doing, even our own lives, to go and be with our kids and do something for them. We will give considerable energy to our kids. And yet Sundays, Sundays, the time where we gather, where we gather together, where God wants to make the best investment he's ever made, which is in you, we think, it's not worth my energy it's not worth it it's not worth my time and you've been there i've been there i get it we're gonna miss sundays i get it we're gonna get sick i get it we go on vacations there's nothing wrong with those things but when that becomes the predominant narrative of who we are when we wake up week in and week out and think is it really worth my time is it really worth my energy The truth is, you will worship something, but it's just whatever you're going to give your energy to. See, expendable energy is always applied to whatever we prioritize. This is the truth for you and me. Our expendable energy is always applied to whatever we prioritize. And I think that so often our energy that we give to is actually for somebody else's standards and somebody else's dreams. And the reason why we as a community, the reason why the church today is so irrelevant in America is because we have given our energy to something else other than this. It's not worth it. But I want to go back to this idea that God says, no, you are worth it. The worship is worth it because you are worth it. The worship is worth it because you are worth it. And here's what I know. The greatest investment you can make in yourself is the investment that God wants to make in you. The worship is worth it because the greatest investment you can make in yourself is the investment that God is wanting to make in each of you. That when we get up in the morning, yes, we have to go to work, but when I give considerable energy when I give attention to, when I make every effort, when I'm on my way to work, when I'm at work, that I'm giving everything I'm doing over to the God who created me, who made me, and has asked me to be an example to the world, to be loved to the world, to be a blessing to the world. When I get up with that mentality and I give my energy, not for your boss, not just for your family, but because God has called you to do something different. You're worshiping the God who created you. There are some of us who really need to be released and repurposed. The greatest investment that God wants to do in you is to release you. There is something and a lot of us that holds us down every day and you've got this sense, you've had this notion, you've had this feeling kind of like my letter to the board. You feel like there's something more. You're asking this question in life. Is this it? Is this all there is? And you feel like there's a void. You feel like there's empty, something empty or maybe you just feel like you're, you're held captive. And I would say this, that when, when God says, let my people In other words, let the people that I think are worth it go. God is wanting to release you to standards that you settled for, from standards that you've settled for, into the dreams that he has for you. When I think about our church, I think God is going to release this church so he can repurpose this in a way that we'd never dreamed of. Do I know the answer? Absolutely not. Does that make me a bad leader? Probably. But again, whose standard of success are we following? So here's what I want from you. That's right, I know, I, it's always something, right? Uh, I want you to commit to your community, I want you to commit to your church. I want you to commit to this body of people. And I get it. I'm preaching to people that are here. So that doesn't make sense, right? I should be talking to the people that aren't here. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you. There are people that, that consider this church their church. And I would say, share this with those people. Like we have a podcast. We do it online. I would ask you to share this with them. Because there's people who would claim this as their church, but they're not really committed to this place. They're not committed to this people. They're not committed to, to, to moving this place forward. And we cannot, we cannot, we cannot become the people that God has asked us to be when only half of us are here. And again, it's not about you attending. It's not about your presence here. It's not about, you know, how many numbers we have. It's not about, it's not about those things. It's actually about what God is wanting to do in you, for you, and through you. And so I'm just asking for you to commit to this. Because I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. We cannot do it without each other. And when you're absent and when you're not present and when you're not faithful and when you're not around, it's hard for us to live into the dreams that God has for us. And I would say for your sake, not for my arrogance or for my ego, for your sake, be here. Be here. As my father-in-law would say, sorry, I'm going off script here, but as my father-in-law would say, he'd say, be fat. Be faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. I love that. Be faithful, available, and teachable. And he would say, if you're not those things, then I can't work with you. So I would ask that you would commit to your community. That's what I'm asking. And the reason I'm asking you to commit is because God thinks you are worth it. Worship is worth it because we are worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can gather together in your name. I thank you that you think we are so valuable that you would love to make an investment in us. That the greatest thing we could do in life is give our energy, give our lives to your work. That only by giving our energy to you will you achieve your dreams. So we're praying today, Lord, wherever we are, that you would release us. Maybe it's personally. Personally, we need to be released from pain, addiction, struggles, frustrations, past hangups, past issues. Maybe we need to be released from that in order to be repurposed. Only you can do that. And so we would pray that if there's a struggle here this morning, that you would release them. That they would find forgiveness, that they would find happiness, that they would find mercy and grace in you. Lord, I pray that you would repurpose us, that we would no longer settle for other people's standards and other people's dreams, but that we would live into, live, in, live into the mission that you have given us. And Lord, we don't know what that looks like. And we, do, we may not know the entire future, but that is the beauty of this thing called faith is that we are gonna stand up and we're gonna look at you and we're gonna say, we trust you in this very moment. We don't know where it's coming from or how it's gonna happen, but we know that you are God and we are not. So we place all of our faith in you. We place all of our trust in you. We place all of our energy into you. Today we worship you. May your grace and love be evident in us today.